0: So as I mentioned, we have as our text this morning what we have already read in Genesis chapter 13. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, This morning, our text asks us a very simple question, and the question is this, what do you see when you lift up your eyes? When you lift up your eyes, do you simply see the things of this world with the eyes of the flesh, or can you see the promises of God with the eyes of faith? Now in our text this morning, in Genesis 13, both Abram and Lot lift up their eyes, Lot does so in verse 10, and Abram in verse 14, but they see some very different things. Lot lifts up his eyes, and what does he see? Well, he sees the things of this earth. He sees the well-watered Jordan plain. But when Abram lifts up his eyes, God is asking him to see something far greater. He's asking Abram to see the promises which he's making to him with the eyes of faith. He can't see them with the eyes of the flesh. He must have the eyes of faith. And so, the question for us this morning, congregation, is this What sort of eyes do you have? Are you more like Lot, looking at the things of this earth with the eyes of the flesh? Or are you more like Abram, who can see the promises of God with the eyes of faith? So, let's hear what the Holy Spirit teaches us this morning with this theme Lift up your eyes. And see the promises of God. And we have two points simply, not with the eyes of the flesh in the first place, but secondly, with the eyes of faith. And so, first, lift up your eyes and see the promises of God, not with the eyes of the flesh. And so, here in Genesis chapter 13, the nephew of Abram resurfaces again. Lot is in our text. And it's safe to assume that Lot has been with Abram ever since he left Ur of the Chaldeans, ever since he left Haran. He was probably with Abram and Sarai as they journeyed in the land of Egypt as well. And so Lot's been spending a lot of time with Abram. And I ask you the question, what is the result of Lot having been with Abram for so much time already? Well, Lot having been with Abram is himself experiencing great blessing. Abram is the very man of blessing. And because Lot is in close proximity to Abram, he himself is experiencing blessing. You can think of what God spoke to Abram in Genesis 12, verse 2. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And the very fact that Lot is with Abram means that Lot is going to be one of those people blessed through Abram. But now as we see in our text this morning in chapter 13, this great blessing of both Abram and Lot is in fact causing a bit of conflict between the two of them. They both have so many possessions that the land cannot support them both. There is strife between their herdsmen, and it's in fact this very strife which is going to show us what type of eyes these two men have. And so in the midst of this strife, it's actually Abram who acts first, and he offers Lot the first choice of land. He says in Genesis 13, verse 9, this is Abram speaking to Lot, and he says, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, some of the more astute readers of Scripture might actually question Abram on this point, and they would say, Isn't what Abram doing here a bit unreasonable or a bit questionable and why do I say that well it's because God had promised to Abram all the land that they were currently dwelling in the promise was for Abram and for his descendants and so you might ask the question why now is Lot offering at least a part of that land or pardon me why is Abram offering a part of that land to Lot it doesn't really belong to him wouldn't Abram be working against the promises of God well, as we'll see in our text this morning, Abram has changed a lot since he went down to Egypt. If you think with me for a moment to the second half of Genesis chapter 12, Abram and Sarai sojourn in Egypt, and Abram, in that passage, falters a little bit in his faith. He becomes afraid of the Egyptians, and what does he do in that time? Well, he tells a lie to try and protect himself. He doesn't trust that God is able to accomplish the promises that he made to him, and he takes things into his own hand. But if you know something about the second half of Genesis 12, things don't go well for Abram, and it's only the almighty hand of God intervening into that situation which saves him from disaster. So that's an example of when Abram tried taking things into his own hand and it didn't go well for him. But here in chapter 13, Abram has changed. He doesn't try to bring about the promises of God by himself. He doesn't think about how he needs to protect the land that he is in somehow and ensure that what God has promised is fulfilled. No. He sees a situation before him. There's strife between him and his kinsman Lot. And he simply responds to that situation in grace, offers Lot a good choice of land, and he remains trusting in God knowing that God will fulfill his promises and he'll do it in his time and he'll do it in his way and it's not Abram's job to somehow bring them about. He simply responds in kindness and in grace to his nephew Lot, as he should. And this is something, congregation, which I think it's good for us to be reminded of from time to time, to be reminded of the fact that God is working to fulfill his promises in our life, And that it's not our job to somehow force God's hand. And we know some of God's great promises and we sometimes wish that they would come a bit sooner. We know that God has promised total defeat of the enemies of the church. We know that God has promised that day when the new heavens and new earth will come. And all suffering and pain and death will be no more. And there are times when we cry out to God, may that day just come now. Bring it here. But when we do that, God is quick to remind us that he is fulfilling his promises, but he's doing it according to his time and according to his plan. Our job is not to force God's hand. Our job is to live this life that he has given and to continue to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves, while trusting that he will bring about his great promises to us. That's exactly what Abram was doing in our passage. He trusts the promises of God, but he takes his life one day at a time, trusting that God will give him the grace that he needs for each and every moment. And so Lot, then, having heard Abram's gracious offer, lifts up his eyes. This is the first time in our text where we get those words. Chapter 13, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. And what did Lot see? Well, he sees the well-watered Jordan Valley. What does he see? He sees green grass. He sees places for his animals to drink. He sees what he perceives to be the next place of blessing for him. And so he goes in that direction, following his eyes of the flesh. But that's exactly his problem this morning, congregation. Lot is simply seeing with the eyes of the flesh. He lifts up his eyes, he sees the well-watered Jordan Valley, he goes in that direction, but in doing so, he is actually, in fact, blind to some of the spiritual danger that he's putting himself in. And what exactly is that danger? Well, think, first of all, of who he's leaving behind. Why does Lot have livestock and tents, so many of them? Well, it's because he's been near to Abram. He's been with the man of blessing. And now Lot, in moving himself away, is separating himself from that blessing. You know, it seems that perhaps Lot's great wealth has ignited in his heart a little bit of greed. He's forgotten the fact that the only reason he has been richly blessed is because he's in relation with Abram. So what does he do? Well, he goes seeking more wealth, and possessions for himself, leaving Abram behind. Now maybe you ask me, well, did Lot really have a choice? Abram told him to separate himself. And of course you're right, that's exactly what Abram said. But as you read our text, you see absolutely no hesitation from Lot. There's no reluctance from him, he expresses no desire that, no, he'd actually rather stay with Abram, the man of blessing, and on top of that, even though Abram is clearly the superior one in this relationship, he's the uncle, he's the one who's been given the promises of God, Lot doesn't defer back to him and say, you know what, Abram, maybe you should have the first choice of land. No, Abram, or Lot, takes this opportunity, lifts up his eyes, and he goes to where his eyes of his flesh are leading him, away from the man of blessing. And congregation, this is a a situation which is ever-present in our own lives as well. When we lift up our eyes, what are some of the first things that we see? Well, we see all the things that the world has to offer us. We're tempted to follow after them because we perceive that perhaps there is joy, perhaps there is blessing in them. And so what sort of things do we run after? Well, we run after wealth, We run after more worldly possessions. Perhaps you are running after the entertainment of this world, whatever that might be. Movies, music, TV shows, sports. Some of us think that having a a dating or a marriage relationship is the one thing that will bring blessing to our lives finally. and Some simply look forward to the next big vacation that they desire to go on. They see these things simply with the eyes of flesh. But congregation of these are the things which are front and center in your vision. When you lift up your eyes, then you are in fact acting quite a bit like Lot. And not only that, but you're being disobedient to the command of God and Scripture. I'm thinking here of what the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, the Apostle says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides Forever. And further, if our eyes are only set on the things of this world, then we too are separating ourselves from the man of blessing. Just as Lot, in following his eyes, separated himself from Abram, so if we, congregation, pursue the things of this earth, what are we doing but separating ourselves from the great man of blessing? You know, the great, great son of Abram, through whom all the nations truly would find their blessing, the man Jesus Christ. If your eyes are focused on this earth, then they are not focused on heavenly things where Christ is seated. And they're not focused on the place where true blessing is to be found. You can think here of what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Pardon me, Colossians, yeah, chapter 3. Paul is speaking there to the believers, and he says this in Colossians 3, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The apostle is telling us, seek the things that are above, and you ask, why should I do that? Why set my mind on things above instead of on things on earth? Well, it's because that's where Christ is, and Christ is our life. Christ is where there is blessing. When Christ returns, those who have faith in him will be with him in glory. It's this blessing that we are called to keep our eyes on, blessing which is ours in Jesus Christ. It's just as we sang in Psalm 123, as the eyes of a slave girl look to her, her master, so our eyes must remain on God Almighty and on Jesus Christ, waiting for them to show us their grace. And as I studied this passage, I was reminded of one episode in the book of Acts as well, Acts chapter 4. There, Peter and John are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in all boldness. The priests and the Sadducees, of course, get rather annoyed with them, so they put them in jail overnight. Then they haul them out before for trial in the morning. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He continues to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it says in Acts 4, verse 13, that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And then listen to this. They recognized, the priests and the Sadducees recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus How beautiful the passage is in that. These two men preaching boldly. And what is the conclusion? The conclusion is they've been with Jesus. Can that be said of you, congregation? When people see you, can it be said that that person has been with Jesus? Is it clear that you are someone whose eyes are not set on the things of this earth but whose eyes are constantly fixed on their Savior, Jesus Christ, looking for his grace? Because that is where blessing is to be found. And so separating himself from Abram was problematic in that sense, but it was problematic in another sense as well. Yes, of course, the Jordan Valley was beautifully watered, but our text makes it clear to us that Lot got himself rather close to Sodom as well. And the Holy Spirit really doesn't want us to miss this little detail. It says at the end of verse 10 of Genesis 13, in brackets there, it says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's almost like the Spirit is saying, let the reader understand. Lot moved himself close to Sodom, and don't forget, God destroyed Sodom. And it tells us explicitly why also in verse 13, Genesis 13, 13, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot, following the eyes of his flesh, not only separated himself from the man of blessing, but he moved his tents right towards great sinners. And I think we understand how this happens as well, congregation. If we don't remain close to Jesus Christ, if our eyes aren't fixed on heavenly things, if we don't seek our life and our blessing in Jesus Christ, then chances are we're going to end up close to sinners. You can think here what Psalm 1 teaches. People who start walking in the counsel of the wicked one day will find themselves sitting right there in the seat of scoffers with them. Unless your delight is in the law of the Lord, unless you look with your eyes to Jesus Christ, you will find yourself in bad company. You might find yourself close to those who smoke or who drink too much, and you'll find yourself doing the same. You might find yourself among people who swear and take the name of the Lord in vain, and you'll start either ignoring it or, at the worst case, doing the same. You'll find yourself among people who gossip, people who constantly complain about their lives, and you'll be tempted to do the same. Boys and girls, there's also a situation which happens at school, isn't there, where some children are mean to others. They're bullies. And if you happen to be the friend of a bully, then eventually you'll find yourself doing those same evil things. Because your eyes are not fixed on Jesus Christ. You don't desire to serve him above all, but it's more important that you are friends with these people doing evil things. This is what happens when you separate yourself from Jesus Christ, when you aren't close to the man of blessing, when you don't keep your eyes fixed on him, seeking grace, so that you might serve him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now at the beginning of this worship service, we also sang from Psalm 84. Psalm 84 is a psalm of the sons of Korah. And now as you know, Korah was one of those people, together with Dathan and Abiram, who rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, who was Moses but the man whom God was blessing the Israelites through, and Korah rebelled against him. And what happened? Well, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed him up. And yet God, in his grace, for some reason, preserved the sons of Korah, his descendants, and then they wrote this beautiful psalm, Psalm 84. And they said this in Psalm 84, this is verse 5 that we sang. They said, Lord, one day in your dwelling place is better than a thousand days outside the courts of your salvation. I would much rather stand and wait as humble servant at your gate, the threshold of your habitation, than far from there to dwell within the tents of wickedness and sin. You know, the sons of Korah knew exactly what Lot had done wrong. He picked up his tent and he went to dwell with in the presence of sinners. But here they are singing, how much better wouldn't it be to keep our eyes fixed on the temple of God? where Jesus Christ is. And so we see Lot lifted up his eyes of the flesh and remained blind to where true blessing was found. Blind to the promises of God, separated himself from the man of blessing, and pitched his tent next to wicked sinners. And now what does Abram do? Well, Abram lifts up his eyes, but they are eyes of faith. And Abram sees what Lot was blind to, And so we come to our second point, the eyes of faith. And let's read in Genesis 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Now there are really two great promises that God is making to Abram here. And the first has to do with the land. As far as he can see, north and south and east and west, all of it will belong to him and his descendants. And the second great blessing is this, that these descendants, these offspring, would be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now, I think it's quite plain to see, congregation, that there's no way Abram could see that with the eyes of flesh. He could only see the truth of these promises with the eyes of faith. After all, Abram was still a foreigner, still a sojourner in the land of Canaan. He didn't own a single square foot of land, and the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling there. And add to that the fact that Abram still has no child. Abram is, or Sarai is still barren. He has not a single offspring. And yet God is calling Abraham to lift up his eyes and to see exactly the things which you cannot see with the eyes of flesh, but to see them with the eyes of faith, to walk around in the land. That's what he says in verse 17. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Open your eyes, Abram, and see by faith that these promises I'm making to you are true. And Abram does exactly that. He picks up his tent, walks around until he settles by the oaks of Mamre, and he builds an altar to the Lord, no doubt praising him for these great promises. In congregation, we know for certain that these promises found their first fulfillment in the people of Israel. Israel became a great nation as numerous as the dust of the earth, and they filled the land of Canaan, especially during the days of men like David and Solomon. But we are being called this morning, congregation, to lift up our eyes of faith and see that these promises God made to Abraham are much greater than simply the nation of Israel. And as a matter of fact, Abram himself knew that these promises were far greater than we could ever imagine. And we know that because of what the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 9 and 10 of Abram that by faith he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Why? For he was looking forward to this city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And then it says in verse 16, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Abraham, with the eyes of faith, was looking forward not simply to a a filled land of Canaan, but to a, a heavenly country filled with the people of God. Not simply Israelites, but people from every tribe and nation people who would find blessing through Abram because it's through Abram that the great man of blessing, Jesus Christ, would come. You know, if you think again of those promises God made to Abram, look north and south and east and west, these promises are far broader in scope than simply the land of Canaan. God is speaking about the whole earth because salvation would go out to the ends of the earth. Offspring of Abram would be found not only among the people of Israel, but wherever the word of God would be proclaimed, and wherever people would receive it in faith. Think here of the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 43, verses 5 through 7. God says to the, the people, his people, fear not, for I am with you. And then what does God say? He says, I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to this south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed, and whom I made. God's promise to Abraham refers to all people who would be blessed in Jesus Christ and who would be gathered into his kingdom from all the corners of the earth. Jesus himself says in Luke 13, verse 29, people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And it's exactly these people, congregation, whom God calls who will make up His people, that great heavenly multitude, you and I this morning, are people whom God has called from the ends of the earth, from north and south and east and west, to come into his kingdom to see with Abram, with the eyes of faith, the promises that God is making to you that your blessing is in Jesus Christ. If we could look at one more passage this morning, it would be Revelation 7. The Apostle John has this vision of the people of God. It's not just Israel. It's from all over the world. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the people of God. This are the people whom God promised to Abram would be his descendants who would come from all the ends of the earth. People who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. People who will inherit the promised new heavens and the new earth and as god told abram to lift up his eyes and see abram saw these things from afar he saw them with the eyes of faith and this morning god is telling us to lift up our eyes and to see with faith the promises he makes take your eyes off of the things of this earth and lift them up to jesus christ Because it's in Jesus Christ that all the promises of God find their yes and their amen. Lift up your eyes and see the promised glorious heavenly country. This is not your home. Your home is in heaven with Christ where your life is. Lift up your eyes and see that the day is coming when God will renew the earth. When there will be no more pain and suffering and death. Lift up your eyes and see that multitude of people from every tribe, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, crying out, and may we be among this group. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Beloved congregation, lift up your eyes and see these things with the eyes of faith. Amen.